Let's pray. Almighty God, we just thank you for the gift of your written word. In your mercy, you even speak in parables of things that are hidden from ages past. You make clear even lowly farmers and lowly people like us can understand. Will you point our hearts towards the word made flesh today, your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. And may your Holy Spirit just fill our hearts with the hope of your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Be humble, persevere, be wheat. If you hold on to that, uh, you've got about 75% of what I'm going to preach today. And you'll be able to pull on, pull out of that, okay? Um, we're dealing with the parable of the wheat and the terrors, or the wheat and the weeds. And uh, I just want to talk for a minute about parables. This parable that we read is smack dab in the middle of a series of about seven or eight parables. I like seven, it's more holy. Right in the middle of the book of Matthew. And this parable is right in the middle of that group of parables. And on top of that, this parable is split into two parts, and there's two little teaching moments in the middle of those two halves. It's sort of funny. You know, parables get used in a lot of different ways. Sometimes they're used so that some people get it, some people don't. But here in this verse, in Matthew 13, 35, it clues us in what's going on with this parable and this group of parables. So right in the middle of our gospel lesson, Scripture tells us that Jesus spoke in parables for this reason. He says it was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets, and he quotes, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. And he's quoting Psalm 78, too. It sounds really mysterious, at least it did for me when I read it. But if we take a quick glance at Psalm 78, it suggests that the emphasis is not one of concealment, but of revealing God's glory and passing it down from generation to generation. And I'm going to read you four verses that he quotes from. Psalm 78, 1 through 4 says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. The things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from, our, from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. So from the very outset of this passage, let's start with the reminder that God loves his children from one generation to the next. And unlike all the false gods of history, our God, the living God, he makes knowledge of himself accessible. That's what he's doing in this parable. And when the Lord chose to preach of wheat and weeds, Scripture says that he was doing it to make clear what had previously been hidden from the foundations of the world. We're getting something new here. In this parable today, 
The Lord Jesus is being revealed to the whole world as the Lord, the Lord of the harvest. Actually, we've heard this a couple times by now in Matthew. And so the Lord of the harvest is looking on his field and his servants see, and he sees, there are weeds in the middle of his wheat. And sadly, the enemy has sowed that bad seed. And both the good seed and the enemy's bad seed have gotten mixed up together in this field. But the Lord has a plan. He's going to separate the good from the bad when harvest time comes. And from this, there are two things that I just want to hammer home today. One of those is a warning, and the second will be an encouragement. And this warning is this, and it sounds like two parts, but I'm mashing it together. Be humble and persevere. And then our encouragement, we can know the hope of God's glory as we grow. But we must be humble and persevere. And we talked about how this this cue from Psalm 78 clues us in. God's revealing us something new in the middle of two halves of this parable. Well, there's another verse in the middle of this parable. And it says, so the disciples wanted to know, and they followed Jesus into the house to ask him a follow-up question on the parable that he preached. Um, So let's talk about asking questions. Apparently, God wants us to see it's important that these disciples went in and asked a question. The older I get, I'm going to be honest, I I ask more questions as I get older. Um, A lot of it, and my wife will attest to this, is... What did you say? You know? And, and, and don't, don't get me started on uh, technology. And I'm not that old, you know? But things get more and more confusing. And so I ask more questions. And then there are times we ask questions uh, because we actually we probably know the answer, but it's not what we're looking for, and we're hoping that it changes, right? Like, I have teenagers. Things like, are you going to wear that out the door today? Right? And you know because they're already on the way out the door. You're hoping that it provokes a change. And I think that's actually what's going on when the disciples ask this question. You see, the disciples probably did understand the parable, at least on some level, the first time through. And that's why they were sure to follow up with him. It's also why they were the only ones that bothered to follow Jesus back to get some clarification. See, Jesus wasn't saying what they expected or they wanted to hear. And if indeed they understood the parable correctly, it was a lot harder of a teaching than they were hoping for. We find that a lot with Jesus, don't we? And as it happens, and, and trust me, this is a purpose, we had a reading from the Book of Wisdom of Solomon today, right? We as a church, we read apocryphal books. Now we say they're not for establishing doctrine, but they make for great historical context. And so I want to steer you to another apocryphal book, uh, the Maccabees. When you read Maccabees, this is super helpful in fleshing out some of the underlying assumptions that are running in the background when Jesus is preaching these parables. You see, in Maccabees, we hear of seven brothers. Perhaps you've heard this in our lectionary reading. All seven of these brothers were martyred as their mother looked on. And throughout this account, time and again, as as the story is going on, the text uh, exhorts Israel. 
Israel, you're the seed of Abraham. And then it praises the mother, and the mother of the seven sons, she's praised for, and here's the quote, maintaining firm and enduring hope in God. And so, like her sons, it says, she will outshine the moon and stars and stand in the honor before God and firmly set in heaven with them. Jesus actually appears to echo this language in his parable today. He talks about shining before your Father in heaven. And I think he hits a bit of a nerve, which provokes the response for the disciples to follow him back. It also provokes the the others to walk away. And so, it's good to know that talking about being the right kind of seed was already going on in Jesus' day. And prior to the Lord's arrival, and following this Maccabean revolt, the language of seed was preached as an us-them, centered on national identity. And it was an easy drum to beat. Those who were outside Israel... They're bad seed. But we Jews, right? We are the seed of Abraham. We're God's chosen people. Why? Well, because we're Jews. And Jesus doesn't preach the popular message here. On the first pass, the disciples, they would have heard Jesus saying, Okay, so the master is standing off to the side of the field, talking to his servants. And they're like, we can tell someone's been sowing bad seed in your field. But right now, they both look about the same. We've heard the the teaching on the tares. It's a plant that grows up and looks a lot like wheat. And even up until harvest, right until the fruit comes out, they're very close. The difference is, is the grain of the tares is toxic. It's actually a crime. It's a criminal offense to do this. So they would have heard... You actually look a lot like those people on the other side that you're calling the bad seed. And they say, you want us to try and pull that out? What a disaster this is. The roots are all entangled. And they can't be separated without a chance of ruining the whole crop. Ouch. But that's not a temptation for us in the church today, right? Making that we're us because we're the church. And they're out there. Sometimes we ask because we don't understand. Right? Sometimes, like the multitude, we walk away because we don't want to hear the answer. And sometimes, like the disciples, we ask for clarification, hoping we got it wrong. Or maybe knowing we're wrong. But here's the deal. Maybe you want the truth so much that you're willing to check your pride and be corrected, even if you don't like it. This happens a lot with Jesus then. It happens a lot with Jesus now. Just about every time Jesus says something, scriptures are quick to point out that the disciples are the only ones that either seem dumb enough or determined enough to stick it out with Jesus. Think about John 6. What does it say? After Jesus doubles down, he says, whoever feeds on me will live forever. And then it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The disciples, as our pattern, they want the hope of glory. Whereas the parable says, 
They desire to truly shine like their father. And they want it so bad that they're willing to keep returning to Jesus and let him cut to their hearts with some very uncomfortable words. That's where we need to be today, folks. And so when Jesus says there are sons of the kingdom, and then there are sons of the evil one, and it's all going to become apparent at harvest time, we ought to say, okay, Lord, make me wheat. Make me wheat. Show me the hope of your glory. Give me humility. Help me persevere. And just to show this is in continuance with the rest of Scripture, it's not a one-off teaching. This humble perseverance that is all over. Paul often seems to echo this parable, actually, reiterating that Christ is the unveiling of those things. He says this same phrase, hidden from the foundation of the world. He uses it at least three times in our Bibles. And every time he does, guess what? We see the same two points following close behind him. When he talks about Jesus as hidden from the foundation of the world, he always carries with it a teaching on a warning for humility and perseverance, and yet he gives hope that there's future glory. Let me just give you one example. It's Colossians 1, 24-28. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God, this is the Logos, fully known. That's the mystery hidden from ages and generations and is now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, Here's the warning, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ, bearing that fruit. Christ in us is the great mystery revealed. That hope of glory, it carries the warning that we must be presented mature. We must have the right fruit at harvest time. We must be proven to be wheat, not tares. So this is something that has to characterize us every day, right? Because we know neither the season or the hour when the Lord might return. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 4 through 5. Okay, How does this look practically? How might we conduct ourselves as brothers and sisters going about our daily interactions? Paul's admonishing the Corinthian church. And even if he appears to be better off, even if he's coming from a further point of spiritual maturity, look at how he carries himself. He says, For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. That's a little different spin when you think about it compared to how people say, only God can judge me. Because what Paul is really saying here is he says, don't pat me on the back yet. If I'm to be commended, if you are to be commended, if we are to be commended, God will do it when the time comes. Be humble. Persevere. Be wheat. 
Hear it from Augustine, actually. He, he comments on this, the same passage that we read in Matthew. He says, see what we choose to be in this field. See which of the two will be at harvest time. The field is the world, and the church is spread throughout the world. Let the one who is wheat persevere until the harvest. Let those who are weeds be changed into wheat. Of course, he goes, there is a difference between people and real grain and real weeds. For what was grain in the field is grain, and what are weeds are weeds. But in the Lord's field, which is the church, at times, what was grain turns into weeds. And at times, that which were weeds turns into grain. And no one knows what they will be tomorrow. Every day when we get up, think for a minute. God, make me wheat for your harvest. When you see the people across the table, maybe the breakfast table, or across the road, ask yourself, what does the Lord of the harvest want them to be? He wants wheat out of them. Sometimes that's really hard to wish that about the people across the table or people across the road. Be wheat. God wants them to be wheat too. Okay, I think we've got humility, perseverance. What about hope? What about the hope of the glory of God? Do you know God wants us to have that as we're persevering in humility? Our Bibles, the early church, they all show that there's this great encouragement that the Holy Spirit pours on those who are persevering. And it's carried untold numbers through martyrdom, through sickness, torture, various hardships for the sake of Christ. It's this hope of shining like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Do you want that today? Do you want that to carry you? Amen. Some of us, okay, as we're persevering, we've got obstacles. We've got excuses. We've got stuff tangled in our roots. We've got trauma that won't heal. We've got family dynamics. Recent or sudden diagnosis for us or a loved one. And it's possible that some of us are actually beginning to experience real persecution in this world. We live, it's crazy, we live in a society that preaches murder, mutilation, and chaos as cardinal virtues, don't we? It's crazy. In the middle of that, don't lose your weakness. And as you go, God wants to grow, to grow your hope of his glory. But how does he want to do that? And, and we're going to move to close. Is it by me just raising my voice and whipping us up and getting a warm, fuzzy feeling? Look, God uses that sometimes. But that's not his primary means. And actually, Origen has this very simple teaching, and I'm going to quote him. He says, Unlike the multitudes whom he sends away, we wish to hear Jesus and go to the house and receive something better than the multitudes did. Let us become friends of Jesus. It's really so simple. He looks at the parable, and he says, If we want to persevere... If we want something better, like the hope of glory, like the disciples wanted, follow Jesus into the house. 
Keep asking questions. Keep bearing your heart. And letting Him work. So where do we find that truth for hope as we follow Jesus? Well, it starts in God's written word. Like we read. Where is it meant to be encountered? We encounter it in the gathering of His people in worship. What does the written word reveal as we gather and hear? It reveals that God stands in the midst of his people and that his Holy Spirit is active. What is the Holy Spirit doing? The Holy Spirit proclaims God's mighty acts to our hearts. And the Holy Spirit makes the sure promises of God present to us in his word and in the sacraments. Remember your baptism, right? We, in a baptism, we hear God's promise that we are forgiven of sin. We hear God's promise that we're received as children by adoption. His promise that we're raised to new life. When we come up and we receive communion in the Eucharist, we receive the body and blood of Jesus. We receive God's promise that he will dwell with us and we in him. He promises in the fullness of time he will put all things under subjection of his Christ, the Lord of the harvest. He promises he will bring us with his saints to the joy of his heavenly kingdom. He promises we will see our Lord face to face. And as Matthew thirteen forty three says, we will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. We receive that hope today. May Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit strengthen you in perseverance and in the hope of, and the glory of God today. Amen.